You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. In Braves country, we are so excited for you to meet our new proud sponsor, Billy Reed. Now, Billy is an award-winning fashion designer who is redefining global style from his home base in the Shoals in Alabama. He is also a diehard baseball fan who grew up cheering on the Braves, and he offers a line of Atlanta-inspired hats, t-shirts, and accessories that embody the soul of our city. Billy and his team craft luxurious, made-in-the-USA shirts, denim, and more, all with a timeless modern style that will have you wearing them again and again. Experience them for yourself at his two Atlanta shops, one in Buckhead and one at provisions or discover them online at billyreed.com that's billyreed r-e-i-d.com Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of Behind the Braves, presented by Billy Reed. I'm Ricky Mast from MLB.com, alongside Director of Braves Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael. And Greg, uh, we have not just an alum on today, but we've got uh, one of the most famous ones. We've got a Hall of Famer on with us today, uh, Nuxie, Phil Necro. Uh, man, he's just such an entertaining guy. And But anytime you get to have a Hall of Famer on, that's a treat in of itself, and that it's such a... A fun, fun guy, uh, a lot of personality, who's also doing some great work, as you'll hear about in the uh, in the interview. Uh, that's always a good day. So uh, you you and Nuxie, I assume you guys go go way back at this point, right? Yeah, Phil was definitely one of those guys that I had a pleasure of meeting, you know, when I played. He was around. He had already retired. But interesting enough, when I was in college, my junior year uh, at University of Tennessee, the the head coach retired or um, resigned and we got a new coach and he came from the New York Yankees where he was the, uh, the pitching coach. And guess what? He was coaching Phil Negro at that time. So that was the end of Phil's career. The last two years, Phil pitched in new two or three years. He pitched in New York and did pretty well. I think he was 32 and 20, but I don't recall his stats. Uh, he did really well. So that, um, the pitching coach up there came to Tennessee, became my head coach, and started telling stories about Phil Negro. And and then um, so we had that connection. And then when I came uh, to Atlanta as a player, got a chance, Phil was around, obviously being a Hall of Famer at that time. And um, actually, he, I think he got in the Hall of Fame in 97. So a little bit before, but he was in the Braves Hall of Fame and and just obviously lived in Atlanta, would come to the games. And then, of course, now working with the Braves, Phil's been been unbelievable to participate in all the things that we do. He comes to the games. He He's involved in all the alumni activities. And so he's been a very big proponent of everything that we've been doing with the alumni and got a chance to – he's fun. Like you said, he's funny. He does speaking for us. He'll do appearances. Uh, he's just a really all-around fun. A lot of great stories. Like I've told you before on the podcast, I've never met an older player that didn't have great stories. And Phil's definitely, 
he's at the top of that list with uh, some other other guys that we have. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it's. You know, especially this is the case with everybody we interview, but especially with some of the older guys, it's like it being able to capture their memories and their stories and make sure that those things are preserved and to be able to share, be shared with future Braves fans and baseball fans. Or that to me is one of the things I'm most proud of. What we do here is that we're hmm. we get to preserve a lot of those memories in that history. So, um, yeah, and but he's just a funny guy, and I it's like I was thinking. I think we talked a little bit about this in there. You were, yeah, you were mentioning uh, how, you know, hopefully in 2021 we can get back and have, you know, alumni weekend and all that. And I was like, man, I want to hear some of these stories in person next season mm-hmm. at the ballpark. Hopefully I'm behind the Braves. So hopefully that, that happens. But, uh, well, hey, we got some stories now. We don't have to wait for those. We got some now. So why don't we do that? We'll go, go to him right now. Here he is, Hall of Famer, Phil Necro. Well, hey, Phil, um, great to see you, and um, and thanks for being on Behind the Braves with Ricky and I, and uh, always appreciate the things that you do for the Atlanta Braves and, and being a part of the alumni group. We, we always get a chance to see you every year, whether it's Alumni Sunday or Alumni Weekend, and we appreciate you always being involved, and uh, so thanks for being on the show. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, hey. Well, I, I- – Go ahead. Yeah. I see you in all those alumni things too. You do more than your share of all that <laughs> stuff. Well, yeah, that's that's a great part of my job is I get to hang out with you guys and and talk baseball and and critique the game today. And I do want to talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, you pitched in the '60s, you pitched in the '70s, and you pitched in the '80s. And then you've been watching a lot of baseball. I know. I know you keep track, and um, and so I'm curious for our listeners and then for myself. You know, there's been a lot of transition. I'm sure you saw some during your playing days of how the game was played and how the game was pitched. But do you feel like that there's been a bigger transition in the last 10 years in this decade than ever before? Transition? Uh, I'm not sure I know exactly what you're talking yeah, so about. How the, yeah, how the game is pitched today, you know, in oh. the last 10 years versus how the game is pitched a transition from kind of a traditional sense of pitching yeah. versus what we're seeing today? Well, of course, I'm from the old school. You know, nobody likes to talk about the old school because we, I think we, I don't know if we pitched any different, but when we got the ball, our job was to go out and pitch nine innings or eight in the third or two thirds or seven, as long as we could go. That's, I mean, that's how I felt like I should get paid by going out there and doing my job that day. Uh, we had the starters, and we had maybe one long man and one reliever. That's, that's about all we had. That's, that was a, the, the makeup of the pitching staff. Of course, now, uh, you know, you got to give me five good innings or six, and, uh, you know, I get you a six-man out there, my seventh and eighth in, in, in my stopper, where back in those days, you, you talk about the great ones, the, you know, the late the, Tom Seaver, and you, and you go to Carlton, and, and you go to Sutton, and you go to Measuresmith, and, and those guys, I mean, you take me out in the seventh inning with a one-run lead, me and you're going to sit out and have a talk after the game, you know. <laughs> that, was, that was our job, to go out and pitch. And, and of course, the salaries are different, I think, as every, everybody knows that, but back, back then, uh, you, you know, uh, 
you can't pitch inside too much right now because if you do, you hit somebody, both teams get warned, and I think that's really gotten out of the hand. Uh, other than that, when we played, you, one or two guys hit the home run, next guy up's going on is you-know-what, and, and that was – I mean, everybody knew that. And, I, okay, I, I threw you down. Let's get up and let's play a ball again, you know. And mm. that's, a, that's a big transition. And, and I remember back, in, especially the National League, uh, you know, we had to play a little small ball once in a while. We get a man out second. We had a game to third somehow or another. I, I think that's how uh, maybe Miami won that game yesterday. They got the guy to third. But the game hasn't changed. The base is still 90 feet. You know, four balls, three strikes, and uh, ballparks are different. Ball, it seems like there's more home runs being hit this year. It seems like there's more strikeouts being – guys being struck out. So, especially right now with this 60-game schedule, it is it, – it's off the wall. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what to think of it. Um, <laughs> should, should this record go on – should this year go on the players as far as their staff goes to the Hall of Fame? Um, the Cy Young Award, the Silver Slugger Award, the MVP, RBI leader. In 162 games, that would change a lot compared to 60 games. So that's something that they're going to have to figure out how we're going to give all these awards out when I think a lot of players get hot the second half of the season. Pitchers get hot the season. Get hot the second half of the season, so I, I think they're going to have a little, uh, a little meeting on how they're all going to do that. Yeah, that's a great point, and I noticed that early in your career, really the first three years, you were a reliever, which is pretty amazing. I would love today to see a knuckleballer come in in the seventh and pitch the seventh, eighth, and ninth. So you did get a chance to experience the bullpen, um, and you know, and then of course, you know, you had twenty something years of, of pitching as a starter, but. How did that prepare? Did that prepare you at all, or that, do you think that helped you coming in the league as a reliever? You know, I, I, I don't. I don't think so, Greg. Because uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't tell if there was five thousand people in the stands or, or seventy thousand. My objective uh, when I got on the mound, there, there was one thing that I thought of: when am I going to throw the next pitch? <laughs> the last pitch is gone. There's nothing I could do about it. So. I pitched the game like it was pitch by pitch by pitch. I, I couldn't throw the second pitch before I threw the first one. Couldn't get the second out before I got the first one. Couldn't get to the second inning before I got through the first inning. So my objective all the time was to go out there and just um, pitch by pitch by pitch. Um, there were there was four people in the stand watching this game. It was me. Um, there was the batter. There was a catcher in the empire. That's the only people that I saw during the whole ball game. Because I wasn't trying to get anybody out of the stands. I wasn't trying to get anybody out <laughs> on the on-deck circle. I got to get this guy out. That's a great point. Yeah, I feel a couple of years ago, it was I was so excited. Just I've been a Braves fan my whole life, and then I've now worked in the game, worked with the Braves for six seasons now, and uh, so getting the chance to watch every day from from the press box. And a few years ago, when the Braves signed Ari Dickey, I was so excited because I was just excited for really the first time in my baseball fandom or just being able to watch a knuckleball pitcher on a regular basis. Of course, I would occasionally 
growing up, I've watched Tim Wakefield or, you know, I've watched some of your old footage and everything, but I'd never gotten to see a guy in my rotation during my baseball fandom pitch every fifth day. And it was so much fun and I enjoyed every second of it. And plus RAs, you know, he's just a quality person and a great guy and easy guy to root for. So, but, but, but to the knuckleball side of it, it was just fun for me. And I, I kind of, after that year was over and he was, pretty much made it seem like he was going to retire. I just thought, gosh, is this, is this it? Am I never going to see a knuckleballer pitch for the Braves again? And I, and I just, I hope that we're, I hope that we're going to see knuckleballers in the future. What, what are the big learning the art of the knuckleball? What are the biggest challenges in teaching that pitch? Cause obviously it's something that only a, a, a few people can do effectively. So what are the biggest challenges in, in trying to well, teach somebody I, the knuckleball? I think Ricky, the biggest challenge is getting the ball over the plate all the time because the knuckleball never breaks, never does the same thing twice. And you talk about Ari Dickey, I still think he had a year or two left in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I know he's getting a little older. Uh, I was 48 and I retired. I don't believe in, in uh, age, um, if you're 55 and get the ball over the plate, get them out, you could pitch. If you're 17 or 18, you get the ball over the plate, you get them out, you get a job in the big league. But Ari Dickey was, he, he threw his hard. He really threw a hard knuckleball. Uh, Tim Wakefield had a great knuckleball. Charlie Hopkins had a knuckleball. You don't see any knuckleball pitchers now because that's really not the way you get to the big leagues. There are, Scott's out aren't out there looking for knuckleball pitches. They're out there looking for those guys that throw in the 90, 91, 92. They'll teach them the sliders or the change-ups. Uh, knuckleball pitchers, uh, uh, I, I didn't care if you were bad, if you knew what was coming. I'm going I'm to throw it to you. I'd say, I'm going to throw you knuckleball. Here it is. You have to have that much confidence in it. So and the challenge, I guess, is to have confidence in it and in knowing uh, that that's a ticket could, that could get you to the big leagues if you can't throw ninety. And there's there's no, no knuckleball pitchers or teachers around. They don't have them in, in the in the minor leagues. You'll find the very if any knuckleball pitchers who are teaching knuckleball guys who want to throw knuckleballs. They won't let you throw it. Uh, they don't see it in A ball. Maybe you don't see it in double A, triple A. You don't see it in the big leagues because. I think young boys are taught to throw hard, and that's how I'm going to the big leagues. In my, in my, in my position, I, I threw in four years of high school, went to a tryout camp, and I, I was a, what, 18-year-old kid could throw a knuckleball, and that's how I got signed by the Milwaukee Braves. Yeah, I remember you telling the story about your dad taught you and Joe how to throw the yeah. knuckleball, and I remember seeing film of Joe, and Joe – he seemed, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like Joe was more like what you're talking about with RA. He threw his really hard or harder than you yes. did. Um, but I remember seeing some footage of Joe's knuckleball that was just off the table. I mean, they were yes. hard, but they, I saw the catchers had no chance of catching his knuckleball. Um, and, I, you know, and I was looking at your stats and you, you basically walked, potent, I think there was an average of three, three guys per nine innings. But you also, um, and I was telling Ricky this earlier that you finished 34% of the games you started. So it's an amazing stat that, that, you know, the challenge of the knuckleball being over, you know, getting on the plate is amazing. But the fact that you could come in relief, the fact that you pitched all nine innings and that you only walked three guys a game. I mean, sometimes we're seeing guys do that in, in, you know, in two innings and uh, you were doing that over the course of nine innings. But uh, do you think that that goes back to, your dad having an understanding of the knuckleball being able to teach you, 
to teach you, but then having that long period of time to perfect it. I think when I was in the minor leagues, uh, you know, I, I was a knuckleball pitcher, but I had that little big roundhouse high school curveball and the, and the little fastball, not very hard. And when I got to when I got to Double A in Jacksonville, Florida, Red Murph was a scout, and and uh, same guy that uh, uh, he was well well known in the Braves organization in baseball, and he came up to me about halfway through the season. He said, Necro. If you get that knuckleball over the plate a little bit more than you do down here, so you can pitch in the big leagues. And no one ever told me that. No one ever told me that I could pitch in the big leagues. So I kind of took that bull by the horn and stuck it in my head. And I said, well, I just got to improve getting a knuckleball over the plate. And by the end of that season, I was in AAA. And uh, I said, well, I only got one more, one more step to go. My objective was to get to the big leagues. You know, get my picture taken and they send back home in the newspaper so everybody knew I, I was in the big leagues there one day, <laughs> at least one day. And, and then I got it over and uh, uh, I got a couple chances to start. Uh, started started good uh, and uh, I just stayed there. Hmm. Yeah, how, how soon after you got to the big leagues did you think – I belong here. Like I, I do belong and I should stay here. This isn't just a, a brief thing. I, I belong up here for permanently. Well, I, I don't know if I ever, I ever got that feeling, Rick, because I always knew when I was in the minor leagues and all the pitchers in the minor leagues, when they get to the big leagues and take somebody's job, they didn't care how they did it. It was illegal. They wanted to get a big pitcher's job. I was the same way. But once I got there, and I remember there's a whole bunch of guys in minor leagues back there wants my job. So I, 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 bet, I better uh, do good or, you know, I'm out of here. And, and that's when we were pitching every four days now. Now they pitch five. But we were on four-day rotation. But that's what I always remember, that, uh, God, there's so many guys behind me want, wants my job right now, just like I wanted somebody. So uh, I better get it together and put it together and stay here if I can. Mm. You know, there's a there's a misunderstanding that whether you you know I you know I was a changeup guy, and whether you're throwing yeah. changeups or knuckleball, there's always kind of a misunderstanding that your arm is not throwing full speed. You know that it's somehow easier to throw yeah. it, and you know that's not true. So my question for you is, did, did you feel like you had kind of an, a rubber arm because as many innings you pitched as every four days, or did you have normal soreness and that kind of stuff like everybody else? I, I, I think I think I had normal soreness like everyone else. But when the game was over, Greg, I was just as tired mentally and physically as the receivers and the guys that threw, you know, in the nineties. I did a I did, I did a lot of uh, a lot of whirlpool, a lot of hot tub stuff where I got that hot water blown on the on the back of my soreness back here to loosen it all up. Threw a little bit on the sides before a ball game started. And uh, that was how it basically uh, kept my arm going. I, I, I didn't believe in the ice. Uh, I remember one day at spring training, my arm was hurting so bad I could hardly pick it up. After a game in Dave Persley said, uh, you know, go home and, and, and ice your arm for 20 minutes and then take 10 minutes off and ice it again. And I tried that and I went back the next day and said, well, how did that ice work, Dave? And they said, how did that ice work, Nico? I said, well, next time you give me ice, you put it in the glass and you fill it up with, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> That's the last time I used ice. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, 
Well, I, I was, Phil, uh, just to read through just the, the bullet points here of, of your career. Five-time All-Star, five-time Gold Glove Award winner, Roberto Clemente Award winner, two-time uh, NL wins leader, MLB ERA leader in 1967, led the NL in strikeouts in 77, no-hitter, number retired by the Braves, Braves Hall of Famer, and a baseball Hall of Famer in Cooperstown. Is there any one of those that, that sticks out to you as, as maybe the most special to you or one of those, those achievements that you kind of think that's, that's the one I'm most proud of? I think my proudest of all the years I pitched rookie was uh, winning 100 games after the age of 41. Mm. I, I, I think that was it because there was – I never thought about age. I never thought about anything but – put the batter up there, put an umpire, give me Benedict or Euchre or, or the guys, and let's play ball. That's yeah, awesome. amazing. In, uh, when I first came in the league, Charlie Huff was still pitching, which I'm sure you yeah. know Charlie, and he was out of – He hit a home run off of me one time. You what? I hit a home run. Sorry, yeah, no, <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Yes, my late – my late brother Joe hit one off of me. That's the only only home run he ever hit in the big leagues, and he hit off of me in a way. What? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's, that's the only hit he ever got off of. <laughs> I couldn't imagine I never, pitching that long, but uh, but uh, well, yeah. you know, Greg, I I was very blessed, very fortunate to be able to play the game that long. I mean, there's a lot of guys who just like to get in the big leagues for half a year or a year, but uh, I, I was, uh, wasn't anything more special than anyone else. For some reason, the good Lord gave me a, 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 a good mind and he gave me a, a good arm. Uh, of course, him and my dad gave me the knuckleball. I, I don't know, but um, that's the thing I look at that uh, I, I was so fortunate, so fortunate to play in the big leagues for 23 years. Four, year, four years in the minor leagues and one year at Fort Knox. Uh, that, I think, when they talk about my career, how blessed and fortunate I was to play that long. Hmm. Yeah, I've, I've uh, gotten to know uh, you more. Of course, um, being around Atlanta, we're very fortunate to have such great alumni, and we do so many right. things in the community. And I've gotten to know the organization that you're a big supporter of called the Edmondson Telford Center up in Gainesville for abused children. And Jane Carpenter yes. worked closely with you. Uh, you guys have done some tremendous work. And um, so tell, tell us a little bit about why you're passionate about what they're doing and, and uh, how you got involved with them. Well, it was uh, 25 years ago. A lady from uh, Gainesville called me and says, I need some help on the Edmondson telephone. I never heard of her, to be honest with you. And I said, well, let's, let's, uh, let's try a little golf tournament. Maybe we can raise, I think we raised 8,000 the first year, maybe 12, and they kept on adding on and adding on. And uh, this October 22nd will be our 24th. I'm hoping I can get to 25. That's, that's another year away. Uh, but Jane does a great job at it. Uh, the, the nice thing I think about our golf tournament, Greg, and everybody tells me this, is that we have official scores that walk with us, and they keep scores, so there's no pencil whipping, uh, nothing <laughs> like that. Uh, and, and I've been in a lot of golf tournaments, and, and we don't have mulligans, and, and we don't have uh, 
with handicaps, that stuff gets blown out of the sky all the time. So ours is pretty much straight golf. And uh, we play at Chateau Elan. We use two courses. Uh, of course, this year, uh, we won't be having any after-dinner treats and dinners and stuff like that in our county. We can't be, sit people close to that. But I think we got maybe one team left or two to fill it up. We have 44 teams. Uh, we have a, a celebrity captain, as you've been one year, and we have four players on that team. And you won it one year. I remember that. I remember yep. that. And uh, you probably come in close after that. But you're a good golfer. <laughs> you're a good golfer. I've well, learned how to team. I've I've learned how to pick my score up. If you, I learned that if you can hit the tightest in the woods, you can always hit a top flight out if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote a book on putting. I wrote a book on putting called How to Line Up Your Fifth Putt. That's something like. <laughs> That's always helpful. Always the shoe wedge oh, yeah. has always been my best club. That shoe wedge out of the woods. Shoe wedge, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't learned that one yet. <laughs> I've found that the secret is to have a really good female golfer on your team because they hit from the red tees and they always dominate. <laughs> Definitely. Someone who can play. Yeah, we had a couple up there one year. I don't know if it was on your team. I don't know, maybe or not, but she was hit for Lady Steve's and you know, par fives, everybody, everybody was hitting irons after that or, you know, five woods into the green, and uh, they ran away with it. So we kind of got away from any kind of almost pros or pro golfers, whether they're men or whether they're young women. So uh, that's kind of not fair in a way. Uh, at least I think. I think you have over 65 years from the up tees, and we we may put something in here this year if you're, if you're up to 80 or over, you could hit the ladies' tees if you want to. But you have to wear a dress to be able to do that. <laughs> I've met some pretty good golfers that are 65 and older, and I don't think that's fair either. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll entertain that thought in my mind. <laughs> well, you should hit from the back tees. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, you guys do a great job. You guys do a great job, and it's always a lot of fun at the tournament, and definitely looking forward to that. And and definitely give a shout out. That's October 22nd, um, up at like it up at Chateau Elan, and everybody can go to etcac.org and uh, contact right. Ben Carpenter about that. Like I said, Phil, you said there was just some a few spots left, so we yeah. just want to try to try to fill that up. Well, I think another thing too, one Greg is all the money we make stays right in Gainesville. He's right in Gainesville to the Edmondson Telephone Center for Children. I mean, years ago when we started that thing, it was an old, rocky, almost torn down brick house. And uh, we never did go in the cellar. Everybody was afraid to go in the cellar. And our objective was to, let's, let's see if we can build a new building of some kind. Hmm. So uh, after we kept raising money, raising money, uh, we got an architect to build, to build right next to it, almost on the spot. Had a lot of the in kinds, people come in and donate a lot of stuff. And uh, we moved in there. We're, we're very proud of it. It's on uh, Washington Street in Gainesville. And all the money stays right there at the center. And uh, as you said, we, uh, we're trying to stop abuse, mentally and physically abuse, sexually abuse of these young children. Some of them are eight, nine, ten. You've seen some of the signs up there in their names. Uh, and, and, and that's that's my objective is to, if we can stop it I don't know if we can stop it or not but we, you know we're doing the best we can um, we we serve uh, Do Hall County Dawson County I think white county so 
we've got a big spread. We work with the, all the police, undercover agents, the GBI, work with the state troopers, trying to find these, you know what, that does to see these young children. Mm, that's great. Yeah, that is, that's that's amazing work. That's uh, that that's true. You hear the phrase "doing the Lord's work," but that that truly is right there. That is that's pretty amazing. And I hope hope everybody goes goes to the website and uh, and checks that out for sure. There's a, there, there's a there's a lot of lot of a lot of baseball players and athletes that do these things. Uh, maybe they're not mentioned so much, but uh, I've been doing it quite a while. There's uh, Jane Carpenter, Heather Hayes, who runs the whole program, and inside the building we had hidden cameras, and we bring the children in and whoever we think may be involved, and we take pictures of expert uh, questions for them. And, and find out uh, and if they're found guilty, we take them, we take them to, to trial. And uh, if they're guilty, uh, I always said we put them in jail and throw away the key on this, you know. But, mm. Mm. And Dane, as you believe, by Dana Miller's been with us for years. I don't know if you know Dana or not. She's the one who always used to help me do the awards after. And she's been with us for 24 years. Jane, I think, maybe 23. Heather, I think, maybe 23. But it's a great... Uh, great group of people we only got about I don't know, maybe eight or nine on the whole golf committee and uh, october 22nd is our next one yeah well I think you, you you plan you plan yeah yeah i'm putting money on. i'm gonna call i'm gonna call vegas and see what uh, see what the odds are <laughs> okay well there's definitely a lot of unsung heroes there we appreciate all the work that you guys are doing and and I know you get a lot of uh, alumni and some of uh, your former teammates from yeah. other teams that come in and play. So it's a lot of fun. But, well, hey, Phil, it's great having you on today. We appreciate you talking uh, talk to us. You look great, sound good, and uh, it's always a pleasure. I can't wait for it. Now, I've missed Alumni Weekend this year and Alumni Sunday. So I Me hope too. in 2021 we'll get back at it and, and get everybody together. So, we look forward to seeing you again, and uh, we'll definitely promote uh, the golf tournament and, and look forward to seeing you there. And if you can't play in a golf tournament, you can always make a little donation if you want. That's that's a possibility. But thanks for having me on. And, and Rick, nice to meet you. Uh, and good health and good luck to you all. May the good Lord take care of you in the, the best way you can. Thanks so Thank much, Phil. All right. It, Have a good day. Our thanks again to Hall of Famer Phil Negro for joining us here on Behind the Braves, presented by Billy Reed and Greg. Uh, that let's let's give the information there for folks again one more time to check out the great work that, that Phil Negro is doing. Yeah, sure. So his golf tournament is for raising support for the Edmondson Telford Center out of Gainesville, and the golf tournament's on October twenty second at Chateau Elan. You can go to etcac. Org. That's etcac.org. And then there's contact information there for Jane Carpenter. She's got a phone number there. You can give her a call. She runs the tournament. She's done a great job. And actually, Jane uh, married Chris Carpenter, a former punter at Georgia. And uh, I played – he pitched for Georgia. He was a closer. I pitched against him at Georgia and then also got a chance to pitch against him in the big leagues for the Cardinals. So it's fun to get to see them every year. Jane does an unbelievable job. She's uh, definitely an unsung hero for – uh, for Phil's tournament. Like I said, Phil talked about 20, 24 years now. This is the 24th uh, year they've done the tournament. They do a great job. He's got a few spots open, so uh, hopefully 
uh, some fans from our audience would go ahead and and uh, join in with us and, and we'll have a great time. So anyway, uh, go to the website and you can contact Jane and she'll tell you more about it. Awesome. Great stuff. Well, you know what? I, ju- I just realized, because Phil and I introduced ourselves to each other before we started taping and this was our virtual introduction. I realized I had, I s- sort of had met him twice before, but not really. Once was on a Braves, Braves Country Caravan years ago, and there was a bus full of us. So it was, you know, and he was uh, one of the featured uh, guests that day that was traveling with us. So, and he was really funny. And I mean, we all just got to say hi to him, but it's a bus full of people, you know, so I, I wouldn't consider that a proper introduction. And I just realized, though, there was one other time or Phil Necro and I virtually met, and it was uh, right after I was eliminated from the MLB Fan Cave in 2012. The season was still going <laughs> on. He was one of the guests at the Fan Cave, but I was already oh. back from Virginia. And so my friends that were still in there decided, hey, we got to call Ricky. And because, you know, I'm a Braves fan, we got to have Phil Necro FaceTime with Ricky. And it just dawned on me that Phil Necro and I actually did FaceTime for a couple minutes uh, back in late 2012. And there is, I believe it's on either Associated Press or Getty Images, there's a picture of Phil Necro holding a phone, talking to somebody, FaceTiming with somebody, and it's me. And that was somebody, a photographer took a picture of that, so that's still out there. And I'd forgotten all about that until just now. Nice. You didn't ever uh, create a song for Phil? No, but you know what? There's, I got a lot of time. I have Once the season's <laughs> over, I have a lot of time in my hands again. Maybe that'll be the time. I, I got to. All right. See, I'm trying to think of some clean words that rhyme with Nuxy. I'll try. I'll come up with something. <laughs> well, I loved your comments about how there's something special about being able to watch a knuckleballer. And and when I when I when I was still playing, there were still some guys like Wakefield, Charlie Huff. Uh, there was one of the uh, one of the kid for the Padres, I think, at that time that was throwing a knuckleball, Springer maybe or something. Um, I can't remember, but. There were still three knuckleballers in the league. Now there's there's not a knuckleballer, and there probably never there won't be any in our short term future in the game. Just the way things are going, and uh, what the emphasis now is on pitching. And then, unfortunately, like Phil was saying, that you know, in order to have knuckleballers, you have to have people who can teach knuckleballers. So if those guys are not in the game because there's no knuckleballers to teach, then how are we going to get knuckleballers in? So it might be a lost art. It may be one of those things that's going to go by the way of the dinosaur or um, the woolly mammoth, you know, where we don't have that part of the game and they're extinct. And that's sad because I really enjoyed, like you, I enjoyed watching, um, you know, the the knuckleballers that we, that I got to see, you know, I I don't think I ever faced one as a pitcher, but it was great. um, You know, it was great watching them because it's definitely a lost art. I in the in the near future, yeah. I mean, I don't see any coming up, but I still believe that at some point there will be one. I don't know how many years, maybe decades, it'll take. But somebody somewhere along the way, somebody out there will start throwing a knuckleball, and it'll be so good that they're just going to keep moving up somehow. Or somebody's going to take a flyer on them in the late round, and they'll play rookie ball. Like, oh, okay, well they're getting guys out, and they'll get moved up. Somewhere along the way, somebody will make it again, I think. I don't know when, how that's going to happen. It's going to take kind of a, a perfect storm of circumstances, but I still believe that it'll it'll happen. I mean, there's – I don't think we're ever – we're never going to see, like, this a wave of knuckleballers coming through or anything. But I, I don't I don't think um, 
someday, someday it'll happen again. You and I both might both might be long gone, but it'll happen again someday. So. Throw all the stats out the window and all the analytics when you get a knuckleballer out there. So maybe yeah. maybe it's too confusing for the analytics guys to figure out. Maybe that's why they're not gonna. Hey, if they, if, they, if somebody comes along and they're throwing a knuckleball and they're all they're doing is getting guys out, then they'll they'll win themselves a job somehow. So there you go. I believe. There you go. So. Maybe I'll go out the backside. Hey, um, yeah. You need to hurry up and get married and have a kid, and we'll teach him how to throw a knuckleball. Well, I'm only, I mean, I'm still filled and retired till he was in his late 40s. I was thinking <laughs> maybe it's time for me to go out in the in the courtyard here and loosen up the old arm. You know, there you go. I, there I, you go. I've got the right speed for a knuckleballer. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. Well, I'll take that plan under advisement and I'll get back to you. So. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all for joining us as always. And thank you so much to uh, Hall of Famer Phil Necro for joining us on Behind the Braves presented by Billy Reed. That was a lot of fun and uh, look forward to hopefully doing that with him again sometime. In the meantime, for Greg McMichael, I'm Ricky Masts. We'll see you next time. Hey, Braves country. We just wanted to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe Behind the Braves presented by Billy Reed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Braves.com slash Behind the Braves, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Braves. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.